Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 88 of the Utah Royals FC show. Um, this week, it's just me. I'm not joined by um, Cindy or Megan, but I did have the opportunity to record an interview with um, new head coach Craig Harrington and general manager Stephanie Lee. Um, so those were done individual, and you'll hear them back-to-back later in this episode. Super fun to chat with them both. Um, really insightful. Honestly, makes me really excited and curious for this upcoming season. Um, Craig, unfortunately, had to run out, so it was a little bit shorter than I had originally planned, but still um, really great to talk to him. Just seems like a really sharp guy overall. Um, but yeah, so aside from those two, a couple couple key news pieces have broken this week. The first is that um, Sydney Marimontes has retired. Um, the club issued a statement uh, earlier this week that um, uh, after two years with the Royals, the 25-year-old defender um, has decided to step away from playing. So that's pretty big news. Uh, she had 14 appearances over those two seasons with the Royals. So um, yeah, not sure what's next for her, but definitely sad to see uh, her go out so early. Um, she's certainly a talented player, um, but yeah, hoping all the best for her and whatever's next. Um the second piece of news is that we have uh, both the season opener and the home opener um, have been announced. So the Royals were, will open their season on the road on April 18th um, against the Thorns in Portland. Um, and the home opener will be against Orlando Pride on the 24th, so that following weekend. Um, really exciting to start to see these dates come together. I think we're going to be getting the full schedule pretty soon. Um, usually this kind of thing drops very shortly before the full roster or full, uh, uh, season schedule is announced. Um, but yeah, mark those down. Um, and then just as a bit of background, another thing that was announced that we discuss with both Craig and, um, Stephanie is Amy LaPel, LaPel moved into, um, a new role within the club. So in addition to her role as an assistant coach, she's also the director of professional development. And um, Stephanie does a really great job of speaking to what that means. So I won't go into it too much, but um, aside from being an assistant, she will be really involved with um, coaching the Royals reserves. Like we saw this past summer um, and helping to kind of bring players along into a full um, professional um, pathway. We've seen this done really well on the RSL side, so it seems like an organization that can do this, but um, we don't really see that to the same extent in the women's game, so it's exciting to see that kind of development start to happen. Uh, the other assistant coaching news was Louis Lancaster um, is hired as an assistant coach. He has a pretty insane resume. He's um, coached all over, uh, has a lot of experience. So he's just dedicated as an assistant coach. And then Caitlin Young has been hired as an assistant coach as well as youth technical director. Um, Stephanie kind of speaks to that role. But um, yeah, Caitlin has uh, been a coach here in Utah for a long time. She's done a lot of club coaching as well as ODP. So it seems like a really great local hire. Um, But yeah, some big staffing changes and um, from what that release said, that that fills out the technical staff for the Utah Royals for this season. All right, well, with no further ado, uh, we'll get to Craig, and then after that, um, we have a bit of a longer interview with Stephanie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Utah Royals FC show. Um, 
Today, joined by a very special guest in Craig Harrington. Craig just joined the team as the new head coach. Uh, Craig, how are you today? Good, thanks. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Um, so, just landed from Chicago. How's the transition been so far? It's been great. Uh, we've got the staff in every day working hard. Obviously, we've got that announcement that came out today. Great bunch of people that ultimately got skills that support me uh, and will obviously help the players and the team improve. Yeah, it seems like a lot of really positive moves. Um, so before we talk Royals, um, you're from the UK. I think the question everyone wants to know is, uh, who's your team? Who Spur you Spurs my team. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, not a big Mourinho fan, to be honest. But uh, yeah, yeah. Poch, Poch was the brought some good days to the club. But yeah, Spurs, Spurs. Dad was a supporter. I've been a supporter. Uh, oh. Mum's side, Sunderland. Uh, but I went the way of Tottenham. That's awesome. I uh, When you said something about my sticker, I thought you were just being polite. But No, 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 no. No, they were the club. But don't get to watch them as much now because obviously the job here entails the you know full focus. But uh, yeah. but we'll see at the end of the season. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah it feels like <laughs> sold your soul to the devil for results that aren't even putting you in fourth. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I'm, I'm fully behind that. Pochettino was, yeah, just uh, – and hopefully – we can reflect some of the things that Poch did in the early Spurs years with what the group has here. Yeah. Um, well, so you uh, you played professionally in England, at least for a bit. Is that correct? So I, I didn't play make a first-team appearance. I played amateur level, then went through, uh, and then went through to YTS, and then realized that ultimately I was not going to make any money playing. Okay. Uh, so got away from the game, took a little bit of a break, hiatus, because uh, you've obviously had that setback and it hurts the ego mm -hmm. and reflection. Uh, went into film school uh, oh, from wow. an analysis point of view, uh, along with sports management, uh, and then missed the game terribly. Uh, reached out to uh, a coach that was at Chelsea at the time and then started coaching. Um, mm. Found an absolute love and joy for it, more than playing. Mm. And I actually haven't really played since. Um, when I was when I was in my early 20s, uh, teenage years, uh, just went the coaching route and have been trying to hone my craft ever since uh, mm. at every different level and, and got the badges, obviously, which you need to do, uh, but just really being trying to be a student of the game from a coaching perspective. Okay. So you were a coach at LA Galaxy's academy team during a stretch when LA Galaxy were very frustrating to play against. Um, yeah, yeah. What Did you come over to the U.S. specifically for that role? No, no. So I was already in the U.S. Uh, and got to work at youth club level and uh, became friends with a couple of players, uh, got to know them personally, uh, got to go up and watch training sessions. And then at that time, the MLS didn't really have an academy structure. Mm -hmm. They had 18-year-old teams. Uh, and then I was asked to put together a, a proposition or plan of, of how I would set up an academy. Uh, and did that, was obviously then invited into the club. Uh, we put together the curriculum, started to form the teams, uh, go to Generation Adidas, started the, we're in the DA, obviously had success in those areas, but ultimately trying to produce players uh, for the first team. We were successful with that, with the stars that they had. And then from that, got to uh, develop relationships with uh, Greg and Kurt with the, um, at the time wasn't even USL, was just the Galaxy second team. Mm. Uh, got to be on the field with them, Lane Cones originally, and then got to be in around the first team and learn and observe and ask questions um, and, and see what that culture and that training was like and, and just be immersed in it from a day to day from, from the young players all the way through to the superstars every day. Awesome. 
So you were the technical director and head coach of uh, Turks and Kikos. Yes. What was that experience like? I know that you raised their, you know, their fee for rankings went up significantly under your. Uh, yeah. So on my tutelage, we did really well, very successful time. Uh, ultimately, again, going back to the Galaxy years, uh, I had some mentors there and, and mm -hmm. they felt that I was at a stage in my development where I had to go away. Uh, and probably learn on my own and make some mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and because again, success is always good. You know, you get comfortable and, and being there in LA it was a very easy place. And at that time, we, you know, we were winning at every level. Uh, so I went to the Caribbean. It was a place to be myself and, and to learn and make mistakes and, and, and hopefully do well as well. So went there, um, started a grassroots program for the female side all the way up to the national team. Mm. Uh, obviously we had the men as well and we entered the Caribbean Cup and the focus between the male and female side was very balanced but I saw an opportunity, to, especially for the growth within education within the female side of the game, to really immerse ourselves and, and develop that, especially towards the end of 15 level where I felt that that island could compete. They were never, they're never going to compete on a full, full level because the resources mm. and population they have. So went there, loved it. 2015 was a big turning point for me and being over there in the Caribbean with the Women's World Cup. Mm. And that's kind of where my fully passion started for the for the game. Um, and obviously seeing Carly score from the halfway line yeah. <laughs> and her stuff, so, so yeah. that was it. Um, so how did you get involved in Chicago? So uh, I, at that time I was working ECNL stuff out in Florida uh, and uh, heard that the job had become available mm. uh, and then was lucky enough to get interviewed, went went there, interviewed, uh, hit it off with Roy and Arnhem. Uh, I think I interviewed on a Friday and the Monday I, I got given the offer. Uh, without I hearing salary or what it entailed, I was mm -hmm. like, yes, absolutely, I'm in. Mm -hmm. So got that opportunity to go there, uh, which is funny because at the time, one of the attractions was working with press. That was one of the, I was like, mm -hmm. how, what an unbelievable opportunity. And but between that happening and me getting to Chicago, she got traded yeah. and, and came in and it was a whole realm and obviously <laughs> got to work with some obviously fabulous players there, but it's kind of funny how that circle's come and now now ultimately I'm the head coach of the team that that particular player will be on. Mm -hmm. uh, but Roy, Roy and Arnon were fantastic for me. Um, they really trusted me to do what I need to do and also I could learn and be around Roy that's I think seven years in a row now as clubs made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the first year making the final ultimately and that was kind of why I was brought in was to help get the players in the group across that line into the final. We fell short, but obviously now that fuels my motivation uh, every day to, to go there and, and lift the trophy. So if, if you had to boil that experience down to one or two like key takeaways or lessons learned, you know what would those be? I think ultimately good things happen for good people. Mm. I think that's really important. Like That locker room, that club, those people are really good and that's what I think similarities I've seen here from, from meeting from Deloitte all the way down to, to the people that, that clean the stadium. Everyone just seems really good. Mm. They're just nice quality people. So I think that gives you a good start. And then and then it was just kind of the, the, the grind of the season and, and how much you can't get caught up in what's happening short term. You have to have a long vision and you have to go day by day, step by step and, and, and try and just work hard. And if you do that, then ultimately with the talent you have, you've got a good chance in this league. Great. Yeah, it seems like Chicago is a really special group. Um, but so you're in Chicago. Once you hear that Laura Harvey has stepped down, um, what goes through your mind? Are you immediately inter interested in applying or does someone reach out to you? Kind of how does that? So the club reached out. Go? I believe the club reached out to my club. Arnhem and Roy both called me, uh, said that um, they'd reached out. Would I be interested? And again, no brainer. didn't even. <laughs> the switch in my head was like, absolutely. Uh, obviously, I've been here on our travels, seen the club, seen the scope, know the playing group that they had. Uh, obviously 
talking to Laura and Scott and the other staff and things and seeing what was in place that that the opportunity to come in present and, and talk with the ownership and, and the, the board here to, to get that chance was one that I wanted to have so mm-hmm. I came in and obviously things fell fell my way and I've been given this opportunity by Stephanie and, and Deloitte and Rob and just hopefully you know I can repay them in faith with the with success on the on the on the first team and we can also develop players that come through that can inspire the local community to to step into this first team. Sure. So this might be a bit of an awkward question, yep. but um, what are your strengths and skills that make you a good head coach? Wow. Who pulls that? <laughs> wow. I, th- I think I'm very driven. I've got ambition. I believe in myself uh, 100%. I back myself. Uh, and I think that's important to know. And I also understand that there's coaches that are experienced that don't do well. There's experienced coaches that do do well in the same way there's coaches that are inexperienced that do well and there's inexperienced that don't do well. But I back myself 100%. I've also, you know, clever enough to surround myself with great people. And I think that's with the big announcement today of the staff, of Amy, of Louie, of Caitlin, uh, with Jason already here, uh, that they will fill some voids that I have mm-hmm. necessarily. But I think I'm, I'm good at managing, I think I'm good at dealing with individuals and treating people well. And I think I can get the best out of the individuals and invest in them, which will ultimately uh, give them a platform to invest and give back to the team, which will provide us results that we want to see on the field. That makes sense. So players don't report until next month. What are you and your staff working on until then? Uh, so periodization of the trainings, the tactical periodization, our game model, uh, looking to see if we can add to the group right now uh, and strengthen it in any particular positions, uh, getting a real insight um, on, on the vision of what we want to produce here, looking at the culture that, that I want to have in place and making sure that everybody understands that. Uh, but it's everyone's in every day, um, you know, long hours, uh, scouting, using this time, planning a pre-season, uh, just looking at the, the depth of our squad um, and, and how we can utilize, again, the strengths of the staff and know their roles and responsibilities. So as soon as players come in, uh, we're firing from day one that they are here. Okay. So this is the only player-specific question I have, but yep. Kelly O'Hara, winger or outside back? Great question. Bit of both, I guess. Oh, that's yeah, not, a bit of both. That's too political. So that's too political for <laughs> you. Uh, she has an amazing shot. Oh, she, she's got a great engine. She yeah. Get up and down the field. Yeah. She's a good one v one defender. She can get in the attack. Ultimately, when we have the ball, everyone's an attacker, and when we don't, everyone's a defender. That you know, okay. pl- politically, but uh, a great asset to have. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so when players do get back in town, and you know that first player meeting, like, what's the message you want to send on day one? The message is just to work hard. I think the message is uh, to treat everybody with respect, uh, try and form that culture of hard work uh, and focusing on what we can control ourselves. Uh, and it's just hard work, just hard work. Be good people, treat each other with respect, uh, control what you can control. Uh, every day on the training field is a job and interview for them. It's a chance to impress the staff. Uh, and give that onus, but also fill them with confidence. There's, there's, we have massive belief in this group of players to achieve big, big things, and I want them to feel 10 foot tall uh, and have that and, and produce on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, season basis. So um, at your introductory press conference, mm-hmm. you mentioned wanting to be um, more attack-minded as a team. Now, the Royals are a team that have traditionally been pretty defensive and defensively solid. Yep. How do you transition and still find success? Yes, so there's obviously a backbone that's been in place here and the goals against has been a real strength of the group and the squad um, and the club in their mentality and that's something we want to keep involved but but again I think just looking historically at the NWSL, looking at the teams that have uh, gone to the, the final four area and the ones that have gone to the final, these ones score a lot of goals. 
uh, and that's something I think just historically you have to look at, you have to appreciate, uh, and you have to try and address. And also I feel that with the players that we have, uh, especially in the final third, that we should be scoring more goals as a group than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. And and I think if you look at the conversion rate of this group, it's very high. Just maybe we can create more chances and, and play the game in the opposition's half more uh, than they have historically here. That's something that's definitely that I want to emphasize. Ultimately, I want to coach a team that I would pay to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think the team that I want to watch is a team that scores goals, gets you off your feet and makes you cheer. Um, and yes, as coaches, we love to be defensive-minded and do that. And yes, that will be part of us. And and that will be a foundation of us and something that we'll emphasize and work on uh, with the whole group. But we, I want us to score goals. I, w- I want to get you know bums off seat and hands in the air and people cheering and, and, and put on a show for people. I see why you like Pochettino over Mourinho. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, today you've alluded to it, but mm-hmm. big announcement. Amy LaPelvin moves into a role as the director of professional development. Um, Louis Lancaster hired as an assistant, uh, Caitlin Young, both an assistant and a youth technical director. Can you just speak to what each of them will bring to your staff? Absolutely. I think I tweeted out today, but just their, their personalities, what they bring uh, as people, their experiences, you know, Caitlin with her experience in the youth game. Obviously, Amy's been there and done it, and she's lived what the players are living, and she's mm-hmm. and she's done it at the highest level. And then Louis with his creativeness and, uh, you know, ultimately all three energizers. Uh, which I want around the clubhouse. I don't want energy zappers, and they have that. And then their expertise, you know, uh, I know they've all got titles, but ultimately they're assistant coaches. We won't have this second, third assistants. They are assistant coaches, mm. and their input on the structure of how we train, how we deal with people, how we talk, how we hold meetings, how we're scouting opponents, how we're working with individuals. Everyone will ha- have a hand in all those things, uh, with some people designated to be totally in charge of them, going through me. Um, but what they bring is just a skill set where I think it also complements me and adds mm. to our staff. And ultimately, I think they will help get our players better, which makes our team improve. Great. Um, so probably the biggest move of this offseason, mm. player-wise, is when you're you were close to is Sam Kerr going to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. With the introduction of allocation money, do you see that as a way um, that the NWSL can remain one of the top leagues, can stay competitive against you know? what England is starting to do? Absolutely. I, I still think we are the top league. If you look at, and again, I know we only have nine teams and that's going to progress and, and we'll get to a larger numbers as they go through here with the ownership. Um, but ultimately, if you look at our league compared to the other leagues, England's probably a two-team league. France is mm. maybe a two. The disparity between those teams is, is, is really, really big. And hopefully they can close that. Uh, but I think ultimately it's good for the game. There's now these things starting to happen uh, again we ourselves have money we can spend and if we can get the right players we will use that and bring players in uh, but I think it's good for the players it's good movement it makes it competitive it also challenges the club some clubs will become buying clubs some clubs are going to have to become selling clubs some clubs are going to have to develop I think ultimately the best clubs will do all three of them and they'll do them very very well mm-hmm. and hopefully we can be that last one yeah it's great um so, yeah, my last question for you today is what is your expectation for 2020 for the Royals? Again, expectation, I've said this before, every team starting the season is to win, is to win mm-hmm. the championship. That is the expectation, and that's not just fluffy or nonsense. We're competitors by nature. So I'm here to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that. Uh, it may be, you know, if it's not this season, then it's next. But, again, I'm sitting here going, looking at the league, and there's not a team that I fear. Hmm. Uh, and I, hopefully we can we can cause question marks to the opposition on more regular basis than we're dealing with as ourselves. But but again, it's the ebbs and flows of the season. We've got the Olympics to deal with. We'll get through that spell. Uh, but right now, sitting in this room um, with every other coach that's out there, it's, it's to go and win the Shield and, and then win the championship after that. 
Great. Love it. Well, Craig, thanks so much for uh, joining us. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having me. Today, um, we are joined by a very special guest, um, Stephanie Lee, the uh, general manager for the team, um, is joining us today. So, Stephanie, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, so, it feels like you're a person who has a lot of influence in the team. Um, as a general manager, you have a ton of responsibility, but we'd love to hear a little bit about um, your background, how you got into sports. So, from my understanding, your first job within sports was with uh, Seattle Rain in 2015. Um, can you just speak to how you got involved with the rain and what your role or yeah, roles absolutely. were there? I um, I actually started with the rain in 2014 as an intern. Mm. Um, I was getting my master's in sports administration and leadership at the Seattle University. Uh, I'd always known I wanted to be involved in sports, but um, I wasn't always sure how. I thought I kind of wanted to play the agent hat. Sometimes um, I thought I wanted to be in in the office of the sports teams themselves. So um, in getting the masters, it kind of helped me decide what direction to go with that. Um, and having the internship at the rain also sent me set me down this path as well. Um, so I interned with the rain in 2014 in their PR department, um, stayed in touch with them, the people working in the office there. So when they had a team admin position become available uh, before the 2015 season, interviewed with Laura, interviewed with their staff um, and came on board as the admin um, for the 2015 season. And so continued to work through um, kind of multiple hats there, um, worked um, all while we're working as the admin, also um, managed their community relations, so getting players out and to do appearances and um, working with um, the marketing staff and the sponsorship staff on fulfilling those needs um, when we had to send players uh, places. And then also um, took eventually ended up as their director of operations. So overseeing um, all of the game day um, operations as well as the technical staff operations as well as a little bit of business operations in the office kind of managing um, the budget and HR and that side of things. When it's a small, independent um, organization like that, you tend to wear lots of hats, which which was also my background coming from a nonprofit. So I was totally used to that, and it was an opportunity for me to just absorb as much as I could about a sports organization and how they operate and how they run. So um, huge thanks to Bill Predmore and um, that crew that allowed me to do that and get all those experiences because it ultimately prepared me for the role here in Utah. So uh, when Laura left Seattle um, and had the opportunity to come here, um, she and I had stayed in touch and she let me know that they were going to be looking for a managing director. So I kind of threw my name in the ring um, for that position, um, interviewed with uh, Craig Weibel, interviewed with interviewed with Rob Zarcos and then um, eventually interviewed with Deloitte and uh, got offered the position. So spent the first year here as um, officially as a managing director, which a huge part of that was uh, just kind of getting the organization 
acclimated to the NWSL. Um, obviously, with the MLS and the USL already here, they have so many resources and so many great people in roles like that know how to do their job. It's just learning a little bit more about the nuances of the NWSL and um, some of the changes that come with that league. So that was a lot of the first year, but it um, was always a little bit um, with the knowledge and the plan that I would eventually take on the general ma- general manager hat and mm. really focus on the technical side for the Royals, uh, managing all of the staff there and uh, building building the roster. So uh, that was the end goal. Um, and after about a year of managing director, we officially made that change. So okay, so Laura had been uh, the general manager in Seattle. Is that correct? she was? Yes. Yeah. Um, so for that first year when you were here in Utah, were you? Um, probably handling a lot of those things, but was Laura doing that role or was that something that went to Craig Weibel? I think that there's the there's different aspects to being a general manager that fall on different kind of levels of a person. There's absolutely an admin piece to it of, you know, following the cap and making sure that all of the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and all the paperwork is turned in and you're following all the league rules and that's absolutely something that I um, kind of followed as the managing director and it's something I also followed in Seattle as the director of operations so that was a huge part of kind of getting the club um, kind of acclimated to that Um, and then in terms of like player talent and managing the roster it was definitely um, a a group effort between Laura and Craig and myself in some regard but um, it was definitely those two that managed it um, from a heavy load for the first year. Okay. Um, so general manager, I think, is a position that is certainly more behind the scenes than, say, head coach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, like, what are all of your responsibilities in the club and kind of what's your average day-to-day look like? Yeah. Um, I think that I've, I've been asked that average day-to-day question a few times, and it really depends on the time of the year. Mm. Um, but from a, a holistic perspective of what does the job entail, um, it's kind of managing the coaching staff and do they have what they need and are they prepared and are they kind of going in the direction that we need to be going as a club and as an organization and managing all of the support staff the admins the equipment manager the medical staff are they do they have everything that they need and are they prepared to be able to provide an environment that breeds success and and keeps our players healthy and fit and on the field Um, and then from an office side of things managing our budget and are we sticking to the numbers that Deloitte has told us to stick to and how is that working how do we all work together from a a marketing standpoint to a ticketing standpoint into a community relations and a sponsorship standpoint are all of those pieces um, working together did they have the information that they need from a technical side to be successful Um, and then I also sit on the board for um, the board of governors for the for the league um, filling in that role so also from an ownership level kind of understanding Deloitte's vision and where he sees the league going and what he wants um, to push forward um, and, and supporting him and making that happen and then also sitting on the competition committee so these new rules that we're making and um, enforcing and and the steps that we're taking to progress this league how do they fit into what we already have and what are the repercussions and how do we um, implement them and just all of those pieces um, that 
our growth edges for the league, but super positive growth edges and where we want to go. So um, all of that, um, all of that kind of sits in my bucket. And then ultimately, um, you know, the the ticket, the box at the end, the end of the day, was it a win or was it a loss is is ultimately my responsibility. So everything that goes into that from player selection to was the grass clipped correctly is is all things that eventually I need to make sure go right. Yeah. Well, shout out Dan Farns. Yeah. We, we love. Uh, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I've gotten an interview with Dan before. And he's a good dude. <laughs> he's um, great. So um, I think as fans, like, we all have that understanding of what it's like to, to experience a loss um, mm-hmm. and have that disappointment, like, you know, like if, if Tottenham lose an upsetting game, I feel like kind of bummed about it for the weekend. What is it like for you when the Royals <laughs> lose? Yeah, it, that's one of the biggest adjustments of this role. Um, I The way I watch the game has changed completely, and I'm no longer a fan. Mm-hmm. I am someone who looks at every decision that goes into a game day and has to weigh the pros and cons of how that decision played out you know like looking at who's warming up from the bench and is that a right decision and who goes in off the bench and is that a right decision and did we you know did the travel go the way it was supposed to and should we have gone a day earlier all those things weigh into the the result at the end of the day and it ultimately is either walking away from a game elated and starting my week excited or absolutely devastated and feeling like a failure and Mm. then having to pick up your bootstraps because you have to turn around and do it again the next week and you you fix it and you move on from it so it's definitely adjusted how I look at sports Mm. and how the kind of wins and loss bucket affects not just my view as a fan it's definitely like it's my job you know so it's definitely um, changed how I look at things okay Um, when so my understanding is you are a sports person like you love sports yeah Uh, I think you would agree with that. That's a fair. Um, that's a fair statement. Do you have any teams now that you still follow that you still like yeah, get excited about? I do. Yeah. So um, this kind of plays to your devastation. So the San Francisco 49ers mm. are definitely my team. Yeah, my brother's team. Um, sorry. So yeah. So it was a rough weekend a couple uh, weekends ago. It's actually the second time in my adult life that they've made it to the Super Bowl and lost. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a product of the 80s, and I grew up in the Bay Area. So Jerry Rice and Joe Montana are kind of my my um, definitions of superstars. So it's been a, a rough couple weeks after that loss. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That <laughs> it's is, okay. That Thank you. Um, yeah, I didn't really want to see Kansas win because of some connections there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so you've you've worked under Laura Harvey for the past five years. Yeah. So what, yeah. Yeah. What has it been like for you to grow um, into the role you're in now, but also kind of move out from under her? You know, you are in some ways like you were her equal, if not boss. I'm not sure exactly how you guys parse out the relationship, but now yeah. 
um, you know, she's moved on and you're still uh, managing this team. Yeah, I think everything I know about this league and about uh, building a roster and managing a player all comes from my experiences with Laura. So I have nothing but positive things to say about her and nothing but gratitude and thanks for everything that she's taught me. I think um, I absolutely would not be where I am today without her support. And I think that that's, you know, to, to put on the the women in sports hat for a second, like she's an amazing at bringing people along and finding ways to bring success to people that, sh- that are deserving of it. So huge um, congrats to her and thanks to her on everything she's done in her career. So what happens now without her is um is a is to be seen i think that that's um i think it would be naive of me to think that this year is not a make or break for me in my career and it's not an opportunity for me to show who i am and what i am without laura i completely Hmm. um understand that and i know that i'm under the microscope a little bit in that regard um and i think that that's part of the role as well and at some point you're always going to need to kind of step on your step out on your own a little bit and this is definitely that for me okay um well kind of shifting gears slightly okay let's do it um this is maybe going back to that day-to-day thing but uh it's saturday morning the royals have a home game that (laughs) night what does your entire day look like? Yeah. When do you wake up? What What do you do in the whole day? Um, Inc- I've including, actually, sorry, no, uh, good. Uh, including like I'd love to hear what you're doing during the game and after. Yeah. Um, so it's funny that you asked that because Laura and I had a very specific game day routine, hmm. um, and I've been thinking lately like what is that, what that's going to look like now. So I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Um, not to say that it's going to stay that way. Hmm. Um, probably need to come up with some new routines. Um, but it was um, getting up and heading to the gym um, and kind of whether it was like a gym class or a run or swimming, it was just an opportunity to get nerves out, frustration out, kind of everything. Not an hour I didn't think about the, the game later that day. Um, and then uh, depending on what time kickoff was, um, the rest of the day was a little bit of just kind of a normal as normal of a Saturday life as you could uh, expect, getting some errands done, cleaning the house, whatever um, would need to happen. But I would head to the stadium. If it was a seven o'clock kickoff, I would leave my house between two and two thirty mm-hmm. because Laura um, needed her Jimmy John's sandwich. So oh, I would go and get. We would go get Jimmy John's. Um, Did and she have a specific sandwich? She does. She's number nine. Okay. I usually <laughs> okay. go for the Vita, which I think is the five. Yeah. I just know she's number <laughs> nine as is. No cheese, no avocado, no extra. So um, I would go get the sandwich, um, bring it back here to the stadium. Um, usually we would eat the sandwiches, watch whatever game was on or anything like that and then um, kind of the game day tunes come on and then we would usually spend an hour out on the field just talking Mm. and figuring out you know like final final game plans of what the day was going to look like or what was coming up Mm. or what are the like just 
shop talk of Mm -hmm. kind of what things were um, happening out there. Can you, I mean, that is very much something most of us will never see. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are some examples? Do you have examples you can share? Do I have examples? Um, Like, a a certain roster, I Mm -hmm. probably, let's say, we're playing North Carolina at Mm -hmm. home, and she's gone with Gunny in the midfield over a low Labonto or whatever mm-hmm. the decision might be like why'd you make that decision and what why are we doing that what what do you see as the subs and when do you see the subs or, and and just all those little kind of game day decisions that she has to make and just kind of trying to throw scenarios at her that might help her make those decisions or get an even an understanding of why she made those decisions um, so that when I'm having conversations like this or having conversations with Deloitte after the fact or anyone um, kind of what the, the thinking of the head coach was so mm-hmm. I think that 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 hour of time that we spent just talking shop was probably going to be one of the things I miss most about Laura Mm. leaving because it was also an opportunity it wasn't always just the game ahead it was you know what's going on at the league and what decisions do we need to make from a bigger picture and um, you know this this player had this going on this week like do we need to change something up for them or kind of how all those all those decisions that go into managing a roster between a coach and GM okay yeah um, then right before game. Yep. Game. So at that point, it was kind of around the time players started to arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Laura would head back into the locker room, um, and I would head just over to my office, answer some emails, and um, just kind of fill my time for about an hour. Um, and then I head up to the Interform Club. So if anyone has ever had tickets to the Interform Club, I do a little pregame chat, just mm-hmm. going over the starting eleven and. Um, a little bit about the game plan for the day, not trying to give away too much information, but um, a little bit of the things that um, they're looking to accomplish in the game. And then I head up to the box, um, the technical box, and that's where I watch the game from. And um, usually um, Zarcos is there, Weibel was usually always there, and any of the men's technical staff that are not traveling or um, happen to be around, um, they're usually there as well. I think when you've got three teams that have what well we have at least 12 home games MLS and USL it's it's not everyone can make every home game so it it varies on who's up there and watching the games but that's usually where we watch them and then um, depending on how the game goes I'm either out of here real quick (laughs) or I'm uh, sticking around um, and having just some follow-up conversations with players and staff and um, what that what that looks like in the locker room Okay. So in a normal given week during the season, uh, what kind of interactions, and I feel like you've kind of spoken to it, um, but what kind of interaction do you have with the coaching staff, with um, the players? Like, do you ever have one-on-ones with players and and assistants, things like that? Yeah. So we have um, weekly meetings, all staff meetings, so with all, all the technical staff, all the coaches, all the equipment managers, ATs, everything, just to kind of lay out uh, what's coming up this week. And, you know, we travel on Thursday, so the headcount needs to be in by Tuesday, which means we need to know who's fit and can travel by this time on Tuesday. So just a, a 
meeting to lay out the week um, on a Monday and then usually following up. Um, I'm usually trying to get out to training at least once during a week, um, depending on their travel schedule and my meeting schedule. Um, that's the, the minimum that I like to get out there just to watch training. Um, and then um, usually meeting with the coaching staff at least like one more time during the week just to check in on big picture stuff um, and make sure that we're not missing anything on, on a smaller scale. Um, and then um, usually the meal times are when I try and check in with players, just pop my head in and say hi, see how people are vibing or what might be going on. Um, individual one-on-ones with players um, are usually, for me, either when something good is going on or something not good is mm-hmm. going on. So um, the every other interaction that I try to have with them, I usually try and keep pretty casual um, mm-hmm. because if I, ask a, if I ask a player to come to my office, they're immediately nervous. Yeah, yeah, nervous and worried what's going on. So um, unless they have a reason to come chat with me in my office, I usually just try and keep it pretty casual. Um, or if I do have a reason to talk to them that even if it's good, I'll, I'll say, like, this is good. Do not freak out about coming <laughs> into my office. So... Um, the and then obviously there's the formal meetings that happen um, towards the end of the season and and usually that's when you also are talking about contracts and vision and future and that sort of thing. So um, any other time other than that, it's I, tr- I try to keep it pretty casual. But if there is a, a a conversation that has to happen with the coach that I need to sit in on with a player, um, or even with our doctors or our medical staff that I sit in with on a player, um, that that sometimes happens as well. Just to, just as a third party um, to make sure that everyone feels heard, and if there's anything that we need to follow up on or set a plan in place, that those those are all there as well. Okay. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your context in the broader RSL organization, uh, what your interactions are like with RSL general manager, Elliot Fall, yeah. um, you know, Rob Zarkos, who's the executive um, VP of operations, owner Deloitte Hansen, um, what those look like. Yeah, so I think the opportunity to work with Rob and, and work with the men's side was, in all, in all honesty, one of the top reasons I took the job. Mm-hmm. I think um, it was, it, I was, it was an opportunity to be in a true professional experience and um, have the resources that we have and work with the people that we have. So I try and soak up as much as I can from them um, in as often as I can. So they're usually here one day a week, um, and then I'm usually out at Harriman one day a week. So mm-hmm. at the very least, we're interacting two days a week, and um, I'm I'm bouncing stuff off of Elliot all the time. <laughs> the poor guy um, constantly has questions from me, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in you know like how do we how does the MLS have this rule written whether it's from a a league perspective the competition committee is trying to write a rule um, and how does that how is it written in MLS and what have they learned from um, the the years that they've had it or are there things that they would change about it Um, and then as well as just their overall structure and how they scout a player how they talk about a player how they eventually sign a player all of those things are um, tools um, that they've taught me and that I've worked with Rob on and I've worked with Elliot on. So uh, my interactions with them and their guidance is invaluable to me in this role. And I really appreciate everything that they have taught me and that they're willing to share with me. 
And Tony, Tony has been a great addition to that group as well. He's, um, you always wonder if someone's going to transition from player to that kind of role um, mm. and, and what their thinking is going to be. And his has been incredible. I've been very, very impressed by his managing of that. Um, and then um, my interaction with Deloy is very regular, especially with um, the, the, from a league level and from a team level, everything that we're trying to do. I think um, everything, you know, Deloy is the owner and so everything he needs to be on board for it. So whether it's getting approval or getting his thoughts or getting his buy-in, um, it's, it's a necessary step in, mm -hmm. in our processes for sure. Oh, that makes sense. I'm, yeah. I'm sure if I owned a sports team, I'd want to know what's happening as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little bit to the league, um, allocation money is new in 2024 yeah. um, for the league. Uh, can you just explain that to, to us, how that works? Yeah, uh, I will do my best. Um, so the competition committee um, looked to in in force alloc or bring in allocation money as an additional asset that teams can utilize. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were kind of we were coming up against several things. One that our salaries just can't compete with um, international leagues and or teams, some of them not even having salary caps. So Yeah, and we're kind of seeing that with like Sam Kerr going to Chelsea uh -huh. where you know, you have these teams that historically have had very little resources, and now the men's sides are putting significant money towards that. Yeah. So is this kind of help to stay competitive against those teams? It is, yeah. It was there, – there was probably three folds to it, and I'll kind of walk through them. One of them was, yes, to try, try and, on a world stage, stay competitive. Um, an opportunity to keep a Sam Kerr or even keep a Lynn Williams who might be getting looked at from uh, other leagues. And if she's on the bubble of that US contract, how are we gonna keep her here? Um, and then it's also a, a way to just free up the trade market in the league. We, trading tr picks is getting a little bit stale and what you, how far you could stretch that and what you could do with that, um, especially for us in having um, utilized a lot of our picks to get a Kristen Press. So we needed something else to kind of come into the market and be able to be an asset that's tradable. So the allocation money can be spent on players or as a tradable asset. Okay. Um, and it's something that doesn't just have to be spent on players, is that correct? You could spend it on other resources for the team? That I believe that that particular piece is still kind of being worked out in the okay. rulings and, the, and how that is um, officially implemented mm -hmm. from a board level. Um, they voted on it being uh, there being some regulations on how you can use the resources for not just players um, because our biggest um, just we just needed to protect teams a little bit from themselves and if you're going to trade a player for allocation money 
there needs to be some sort of planning from a roster perspective of how to still stay competitive in this league. So it, it you can't, uh, at least from a competition committee um, perspective, the idea was that we didn't, we wanted to be able to protect te- teams a little bit from trading. This this wouldn't happen, but setting a rule so that you couldn't trade away all your players uh, for cash so um mm-hmm. the, they're just the, the little nuances of sure. how that's actually written down in a rule book is something that the league is still kind of um working through but um there there are ways that the allocation money can be spent other than just players yes gotcha thanks for that clarification yes um so we've seen it reported um that Utah sent Chicago 60K in allocation money for that eighth pick. Um, And I'm not asking you to confirm that money, but I am more curious about how do you start to build an understanding of the value of that asset? Yeah. You see on the MLS side, TAM is worth theoretically half of GAM, and there's all these kind of weird things. Like, how do you start to understand how to use that? I have no problem confirming that is the amount that we sent to Chicago for the eighth pick. So, um, and that was actually part of the conversation that Rory and I had of, you know, what what other offers are you getting in allocation money for this pick? And if I throw a number out, are we close? And what's it look like? And, And, you know, we, I think we even actually said we're going to be setting the bar here for what these trades look like. So, like, let's be sure we're mm. both comfortable with this number. So, uh, Roy and I went back and forth a few times um, and ended up on that number based off of the fact that it didn't include any player, that it was mm-hmm. just cash, um, I think it was a, an interesting piece. Um, and then um, n- other numbers that he was receiving for other picks he mm-hmm. kind of um, waited off of. So um, I feel like Rory was open with me in um, as open as he can be in trying to, in trying yeah. to get his own best deal. <laughs> um, but um, we recognized that we were we were setting a standard. And so we try, we tried to come to a number that we felt was – good in setting the bar that's super interesting to think about there's you've now set a precedent for that yeah. kind of thing yeah uh, and i think um yes that's exactly it and and we were and we were aware of that and um i, I think we were conscious and ended up doing a good job of of where we landed okay so this offseason we've seen a lot of moves um Really? I didn't. I don't know <laughs> my, if you've noticed. My uh, season has been so slow. <laughs> I, I would hope that you of all people would have noticed. But uh, Tim Rack and Lash both retired. Morris was waived and Stengel was traded to the dash. Um, how do you start to fill those, those spots? Yeah, I think that we knew um, that Laddish was going to retire. I think her injury was no secret of her battles back from that um and where tim rack and where moros fit into the roster was um was all things that at the end of the season were questions for us so some of those happenings are 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 the resolution for us in in terms of how we we're looking at the future of our roster. Um, and the Stangle trade, and, I, and I've said this in a previous interview, for us in the way that, and obviously we've we've changed coaches, but w- we changed coaches with the knowledge of a little bit of a core way we wanted to play, but the way we wanted to play was not going to suit Stangle's best mm-hmm. attributes. So that was the reason for 
making that move um, and kind of building a little bit more of our future and, and getting some uh, uh, some trades out of that. So how we fill the rest of those holes, um, a big piece of what we did during this off season was kind of look to see what Americans are out there um, that have got a few years under their, bu- their belt in um, either the um, Sweden or uh, Denmark seasons and do they have what it takes to come back and compete in this league which is which is how we came across and found Taylor Leach um, and Chesley Strother so we're we're excited about those two signings and think that they'll fit into what we're trying to do um, I think anytime you sign a player that's um, didn't quite make a roster in one league goes and is unsuccessful in another league there's always still the question of can they be successful here and so we're we're going into that with wide eyes knowing that that that's something that we have to help them through and and they certainly will have a learning curve uh, but but we feel good about them as humans and athletes and being able to compete in this league so those were two um, two big gets for us and then um, we're, we're not done. <laughs> There's um, been some conversations ongoing, um, and the, the coach change um, ha- has slowed things simply from just a matter of we have to figure A out before we can figure B out. Sure. So um, we're, I'm back in those conversations heavy now, um, and, I, and I'm hopeful and positive, feel positive about some of the conversations that we're having, but um, we do we do have some um, more pieces to fill in our roster. And I think our draft picks are, are a positive piece to that as well. We're very excited about Tazara um, and even our others coming in um, and kind of just adding some depth to our attack because I think especially with another season coming up where we have a large international tournament, um, we've got to have some more options up top there. Definitely. Um, well, that makes sense. So you said you are pursuing other signings. Yeah. Do you see that as being an allocation move? Anything to that level? Probably, yes. Mm, it's exciting. It is, really yes. Exciting. Let's just hope I can get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to look real silly when this podcast comes out. I mean, if we listen to the rumors about the people RSL have almost signed you know it, it happens yeah it does you yes know, Landon does. Donovan was supposed to be here and apparently the league killed that deal yeah it happened so yeah, yeah there are there are so many factors that come mm. into play in signing a player and a player choosing where they want to be and a club choosing a player that they might go after or what it comes there are so many things that it comes down to so um it, it's a lot a lot of conversations all right so um a lot was announced this morning. We're recording February 18th with um, uh, with some movement within the um, front office here. Two new um, assistant coaches were signed, as well as Amy LaPelvet moving into a different role. Can you just give us an overview of what will happen there? Sure. Uh, so keeping Amy um, around and involved and, and getting her more involved in more of a role was a huge part in um my plans for the structure of the of the coaching staff I think she has a huge bright future ahead of her um, as a coach um, and 
she's learning and she's growing every day. And the conversations she and I have is, I want to keep learning. I want to keep like, what else can we add to my plate? So she's she's someone I'm really excited about giving a bigger role to, and um, she'll she'll continue to um, oversee the WPSL team, mm-hmm. um, which she's excited about and and done really well with so amy is going to be an assistant coach and our director of professional development so she will um kind of from the pathway that we are hoping to build of development she will take them from that kind of college wpsl range um and and help them develop into a true professional and what i love about that plan is amy is a true professional you know Mm -hmm. she's got a gold medal she's won this league twice with kansas city so her background um and not just a coach but as a player is she knows how to have those conversations with them um, of what they need to do on and off the field so um, she's going to be great in that piece. Um, and then kind of on the bottom half of that, adding Caitlin Young mm-hmm. um, as an assistant coach and as a technical director of our youth. So she will um, manage the development pathway from ages like 7 to 18, um, kind of in what that, lo- what that looks like exactly for the Royals is still to be determined. Um, but part of needing to determine that as getting Caitlin in on that role and helping us um, figure out the best pathway formally for the Royals to get into the development game. Mm. So it's a little bit of a bridge. Um, Amy and Caitlin will work closely together um, from a youth side of players and kind of that flow up and down until they kind of come to that first team, um, all with the goal of the Royals having a true pathway to professional mm. um, for the players. Um, like you see it on the boys' side where mm-hmm. they've signed. They, I feel like every other day I hear about them <laughs> signing a homegrown. Um, mm. And it's just an, it's, that's something we absolutely want to reflect on the girls' side as well. Um, and then adding Louis Lancaster as well as, um, on the, as an assistant. Um, C- Craig is huge um, on the management side he's going to be a great addition to the club from that perspective and so we see Louis is kind of coming in and being the more you know actually technical on the field move the cones around as well as what's the plan going Mm. up against North Carolina and obviously Craig's involved in overseeing all of that but uh, Louis is definitely the boots on the ground his resume Um, is insane yeah he's done so much yeah yeah we're excited about him yeah and he's uh he came he came well recommended by other NWSL coaches Mm. so which I think says a lot about him um as just a stature of a coach well the last question I have is um you just made a coaching hire. What what were you looking going in, looking for going into that search, and uh, what makes you think you know Craig was a good fit? Yeah, I think for me, uh, and I've had several conversations with people about this, um, and, and just to, it, I'll even give some color to it. Andrew, our, our sports performance director is also very well known in that sector i feel like every other weekend he's asked to be and go to go speak at a conference but he he came into my office and was just kind of going through the 
oh my gosh, I can't believe that we have to do this because ex-U.S. soccer is telling us we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those like moments where I was like, this is why I wanted a coach that's familiar with this league because Mm -hmm. there are so many ins and outs and just little nuances to how this league works that is so different than other sports experiences. So for me, the big piece was someone who's familiar with the league and who gets it when Vlatko calls him and says you can't play Kristen for 90 minutes on Saturday and so someone who gets it when Mm -hmm. Canada says we need them an extra day or whatever those other little nuances might be um, but just someone who is not going to be driven off course by those like small those small pieces um so that was a big one for me um for Deloitte it was um somebody who had a vision for the club and for where it wanted to go and what he wanted it to become and that was bought into the development side as well as being successful on the first team side um so for him it was really just it was that that big picture piece and Craig kind of ticked both those boxes um and so that was the um the deciding factor awesome well yeah. thank you so much for coming on it's been great to chat with you yeah no thanks for having me i've enjoyed it yeah you're welcome back anytime and um thanks everyone for listening